This is A Place to Call Home, our series exploring homelessness. I acknowledge and pay my respect to the traditional owners of the lands on which this episode was recorded. This is our final episode in this series for the 2023 year. In this episode, we speak to Olivia, who works in the Legal Aid Homeless Outreach Service. Olivia and her colleagues do a lot of work with people who are going into custody, already in custody and leaving custody and help them with the homelessness that they face. I'd like to welcome Olivia to the podcast today. Olivia works in legal aid for a homeless outreach service. Welcome, Olivia. Thank you. Olivia, would you please tell us a little bit about your role and the work that you do in your role? Yep, absolutely. So I'm part of one of the specialist teams at Legal Aid. So we have a group of solicitors across the state who work as part of the Homeless Outreach Service. And essentially our role is to help um, anyone who is experiencing homelessness or who's at risk of homelessness with a range of their civil law issues. So that means that we're actually going out to the homeless hubs, to refuges um, and doing these outreach clinics to try and help people with issues such as tenancy issues, fines issues, debt matters, anything really that, that, you know, receiving some legal advice and support on it might help them to address some of their housing issues and get back into housing. Olivia, do you also work with prisoners who have been released from custody? Absolutely. So we work with clients who are at risk of going into custody as well as clients who are in custody. And we have a lot of clients um, who've recently come out of custody. That's a lot of clients who we see at our shelters and refuges have just come out of custody. Olivia, I'd like to focus on that group of clients in the interview today. Are there particular causes of homelessness in the group of clients who are either in custody or just come out of custody or about to go in custody? Yeah, so a big factor in a client coming out of custody and becoming homeless is often if they've had to give up their housing while they've been in custody. So for social housing that's run by the state, by Department of Communities and Justice, you can only be absent from those dwellings in custody for a maximum of six months. So for clients who are held on remand, um, they might be awaiting a hearing, they might be have been sentenced to a sentence that's longer than six months. For those clients, they, they are expected to give up their housing while they're in custody. Um, Otherwise, the department may take them through the tribunal and try and terminate that tenancy. Now, that's six months for those tenants. For community housing providers, it can be even shorter. Our local community housing provider um, only allows an absence up to three months. Um, Some other providers, it's six weeks. So there are a lot of clients who have been in custody who they may not even have been sentenced yet. They may still be awaiting a hearing. Um, waiting to put in their pleas, but just because of how long they're in custody, they've had to give up their property, which means that when they come out, they've got to start it all over again, apply for housing, get back on a wait list. So that's a huge issue that we see. 
does that mean that, that they're back to the bottom of the list and potentially have the sort of 10-year wait that is common in public housing? Yeah, it depends. And that's where, you know, the support services that can speak to them early on release really make a difference because if a client comes out of custody and doesn't kind of get any support or advice and they just put in the regular housing application form because that's what they think they should do, then you're right. They would just go on to that general housing wait list, which is over a decade long await for housing. Uh, for clients coming out of custody, there are ways that they can be prioritised for housing. Um, if they're coming in out of custody, there are certain programs that they can do to try and access transitional housing, or they can apply to be approved onto the priority housing wait list. Um, but, but that requires a knowledge of the system and a knowledge of what to ask for and a knowledge of what application to give and, and what support letters are going to make a difference. And that's where client is just coming out of custody and just going to their local office asking for a housing application. They're not going to know what they're necessarily eligible for to go up that priority ranking. Yeah, absolutely. You don't know what you don't know is the problem, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Olivia, would you say in this particular group of clients that domestic and family violence might be one of the causes of homelessness? Look, I don't think it plays um, much higher a factor than any of the other clients that we deal with. I think the only kind of issue that disproportionately affects them is if they've gone into custody for something related to domestic violence, often it's a factor that they can't go back to the house, um, you know, if their partner or ex-partner is living there. So that is a unique problem that some some of the people coming out of custody face. But I wouldn't say it's any, you know, proportionately, it's not a huge problem compared to the rest of our cohort that we're helping out. What about legal issues in this particular group of clients? Are there common legal issues that they experience? Absolutely. A lot of the work that we do with them is to try and get as many of their legal issues kind of sorted to give them the best chance of stepping out on the right foot when they come out of custody. So for a lot of clients that relates to um, debts and fines. So trying to make sure that as much as possible, we've got their debts to a manageable level. We've talk to them about entering into hardship arrangements or repaying debts, or if they have large fines, um, helping them to set up a work and development order or repayment plan, or in some cases try to apply for a write-off or a reduction in those fines so that when they come out of custody, they're not immediately back in a cycle of just having to pay off old debts and having to pay off old fines and not really getting a leg up to try and be able to enter into housing. So for a lot of our clients in custody that it's very rare that they're only facing one legal problem. It's normally a bit of a matrix of a whole bunch of legal problems all tied up together. Um, but fines, fines and debts are definitely a major problem that we see in our clients coming out of custody. And something that when clients are in custody and they have the time to kind of get a hold of their situation, that that is the big issue that they want to deal with and want to get on the front foot with often. Yes, having um, debts and fines does weigh very heavily on people, doesn't it? Absolutely. And especially if the debts relate to housing. So as I said earlier, if a client's had to give up 
their housing while they're in custody. If they haven't had family members or friends on the outside who can go in and collect their goods or they don't have someone who could go in and clean the house for them, really often when these clients are giving up their housing, they're literally just saying to their housing provider, you know, you can have the property back. I don't have anyone who can clear it out. And that often means that the housing provider has raised a large debt against them for the cleanup costs, for the disposal costs, for garden maintenance, things like that. So if their debts relate to housing, it means that those debts can also face a barrier to them applying for housing when they come out. They can face a suspension period or, you know, they can be marked as ineligible to be housed. So it is a big priority to deal with those debts before they uh, are released from custody so that we can help to try and get them back on that wait list as fast as we can. Thinking about some of the issues that you've raised that this group of clients experience, would you have any tips for community workers helping clients who are going into or in custody or leaving custody and who are likely to be at risk of homelessness? Absolutely. So I think for clients who are in custody, the biggest tip that I would give them is if if you're contacted, often housing will get an alert if someone's gone into custody and they may start the process to say um, that they need to relinquish the house. Prior to them relinquishing it, prior to them giving it up, we would always say get some advice because it may not be that you have to give up your housing. You, you may have a chance of parole earlier than the six-month limit or you may have a chance to um, get bail earlier. You know, we can offer services like support letters for bail, things like that that may mean that actually at the end of the day you're not in for as long as housing is just expecting based on the bare bones notification that they get. So we would always say get some advice about your options before you give up your house because once you've given it up, it can be a really long and hard slog to get back on that wait list. So it's good to see that all of the options are exhausted um, before you kind of give up your rights to that property. And for clients coming out of custody, I think the biggest hint we can say is, as you said, you know, clients don't know what they don't know or we don't know what we don't know kind mm. of thing. So often we have trying to figure out strategies for what is the best thing that we can ask for because option often there's multiple options that a client could apply for um, and it's a matter of thinking about well what is actually going to get this client what they need both short term but also long term what is the goal for this client so you know is it supported accommodation and transitional housing um, where they can have some more supports in place for a short term or is it that they just need temporary accommodation for a short period? Are they wanting to change locations or do we need to try and get them onto that, that housing wait list permanently? Um, that, that's a strategic question and that's something that's going to change from location to location and that's going to change from week to week. So always get advice on, you know, what options you might be eligible for. And the other thing is because a lot of clients will often have, um, housing debts we'd always say get some legal advice on those debts before you just sign a deduction plan Um, because often in the application process to reapply for housing if there's any debt they'll just slip a repayment plan in there and a debt acknowledgement in the paperwork and the client often doesn't even notice what they're signing um, until after they've signed it 
And in some cases, you know, that debt, we might have been able to get that waived or we might have been able to get it reduced or we might have been able to dispute it in some way. Um, but those options, they get more and more limited after a client has started those deductions or has acknowledged it. If you see something that is to do with the deduction or repayments, actually get some advice about whether or not you owe that money before you start uh, the repayments and, and try and get that advice quickly. They sound like great tips for those clients. Have you observed any systemic issues that contribute to homelessness in this group of clients? Um, look, I think some of them we've already discussed. So a lot of them are to do with the, the cycle of going into custody, losing your housing, have a, having a debt raised against you for the loss of that housing, which means that then when you come out, it's even harder to get housing. We often see a lot of clients who come out of custody and, you know, have these big debts and they're barred from accessing social housing and they just say, look, take me back into custody. It's easier there. I know what I'm supposed to do day to day. I know what my expectations are, whereas when they've come out of custody, it feels like it's moving goalposts often um, with trying to access housing because they don't know, you know, am I going to be suspended? Should I repay this debt? Should I ask for this? And it just feels like the goalposts are constantly moving. Those debts often contribute to this big cycle of incarceration and homelessness. Um, but in that cycle is also just access to healthcare and access to rehab. So we have a lot of clients who are maybe placed into inappropriate housing. Um, so really large and high density housing blocks, which may not be appropriate if they have mental health issues or, you know, drug and alcohol addiction issues to be in really high density unit blocks isn't always what's best for them. Um, and so that might've contributed to some of the offending, which seems them has seen them go into custody to expect them to come out of custody go back into that housing situation without any supports in place or without appropriate housing, you know, it's really not giving them the best chance at at a fresh start when they come out. So lack of access to rehab is a, is a really big one that our clients um, often say that they're facing drug and alcohol, substance abuse issues. We've said that this environment isn't good for us we've tried to get a transfer or we've tried to go into residential rehab, but there's just nothing available um, for us. And so we've gone back into these bad housing situations. So that can also, you know, contribute to this cycle of incarceration and homelessness. Thank you. If you could ask government for something to alleviate homelessness, what would it be? <laughs> Look, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the um, most obvious answer, which is just build more housing. Like at the end of the day, you've got specialist homelessness services which are incredible at the work they do. They are incredible at the support they offer. This caseworkers do amazing work, amazing outcomes. You know, we can give clients all the legal advice in the world, and the clients can do everything in their power that they can do. But at the end of the day, if you've got, you know, we've mentioned it a couple of times, we've got housing wait lists that the general housing wait list, I doubt, I can't remember the last time that a client got housed off of the general wait list. 
Um, but then you've got the priority housing wait list and even that is, you know, years and years long. We have some clients who just to be approved for priority, it's taken 12 months to process that application. And so, you know, at the end of the day, everyone can do everything right. But if you've got a wait list for priority that's years long, the solution is not a policy change. The solution is not offering more support services. The solution is offering people stable, secure, affordable housing where those other supports can actually make the biggest impact. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's all our clients want, safe, secure and affordable housing. Yes. <laughs> it, it's also, you know, it, it is one of the number one factors that leads to recidivism is homelessness. It, it came out in a recent, I think it was the Ombudsman report, that said that, that for clients who come out of custody and go into housing, they have a far lower chance of breaching parole, bail. They have a far lower chance of going back into custody within the next 12 months. You know, housing really is a, uh, a really tangible and practical way that clients can access support services, keep their head above water um, and stay out of custody. Yes, so an improvement for individual people's lives and also less of a drain on public funds in terms of um, the cost of keeping people in custody. Exactly, because the the logic, say, behind social housing, putting limits on how long a client can be absent from their dwelling and into custody, you know, the, the idea is to keep this housing available, to keep it on the market so that we don't have social housing that's just sitting there empty for a really long time. But at the same point, if a client is coming out of custody and they've just been evicted, you know, a couple of weeks earlier and had all their goods thrown out and things like that, if that client comes out of custody and goes into homelessness, you're really not saving any money if they're forced to go into temporary accommodation, which is through social housing. So that means going into a hotel or a motel, you know, that is an expense to the government if they go into hospital because there's no treatment that they can get that is a cost to the government these are all costs to the government and actually just providing them with social housing is a much cheaper cost to the government and it gives a client autonomy over their own lived experiences yeah there's uh, there's so many reasons um uh, that it would make a huge difference to people's lives. Mm. Olivia, do you have a good news story about a client um, who's come out of custody and was experiencing homelessness that you were able to help? Yeah, so we actually had one um, recently where we were actually helping this client when they went into custody so we got an alert that they're in custody and wanted some legal advice and and they were facing homelessness because they were facing termination by their social housing provider because of that issue that they'd been absent from their dwelling for too long. Now, what we were able to do was kind of push out to get the client as much time as we possibly could while they were in custody to talk to the housing provider, make sure that the house was being looked after while they were out of custody, make sure that someone was checking in on the house, things like that, um, until we knew what was going on with their criminal law matter. 
And then it turned out that they were actually going to be in custody for um, a little bit longer over the time period. But we spoke to some of the crime solicitors and said, well, hold on, you know, if this person isn't out by this day, then they're going to lose their housing and this is going to have all of these flow-on effects to everybody else in their life. Um, and we were actually able to get one of the crime solicitors to have, a, it's, I think it's called a manifest injustice hearing, to basically put on another application to the court to explain these circumstances, to explain that this client was going to lose their housing um, and to seek parole again. And, and that client, as a result of that work of the criminal law solicitors, they were actually released from custody earlier than expected, which meant that they were able to um, retain their housing and go straight back into their housing, which was amazing because had that kind of collaboration between the crime solicitors and us not happened, then this client would have stayed, not only stayed in custody, but would have been homeless on on release. So that was a great outcome for this client that we were able to hold on to their housing just long enough that we could figure out their mm. crime um, matters as well and, and help them to retain that housing. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful result and a, a great news story to end on. Was there anything else that you would like to add? You've covered a lot of it. I mean, it's a... It's a really complex problem, um, but often when it boils down to it, it can be a lot simpler than than people think. So I think, as I said earlier, you know, never be scared to reach out for some advice on the options because they can seem overwhelming and it can seem like there's way too many options to consider. Um, but the earlier people contact us, the more options we have and the more strategic advice that we can give them. So that that's it from us. And Olivia, these clients would be high priority clients for legal aid services and the best number for them to call on to get access to advice would be through our law access number. Would that be right? So if family members are listening to this podcast and they have a loved one in custody, you can actually get them to ask if they can go through their SAPO and call the local office. So, you know, a lot of the prisons have relationships with the local legal aid officers and can make sure that inmates can get in touch with us as fast as possible. That's great. Thank you for that. And for people listening to the podcast, the law access number is 1300 That's all for this final episode of the year. Many thanks to Olivia for sharing her knowledge and experience. Please have a look at the show notes for links to public housing policies and other useful information discussed in this episode.